Welcome to the Vineyard Boise Sunday Message Podcast. You can join us live on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on Facebook, YouTube, and vineyardboise.org slash live. Subscribe to our message podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And if you'd like to support Vineyard Boise, you can give online at vineyardboise.org slash give. Today's message is brought to you by Pastor Trevor Estes. Enjoy. Today, we are kicking off a new series. Um, We're launching into a new series that's actually going to uh, carry us. It's all the way to Easter. It's going to be a five-week series that includes Palm Sunday. And, And then actually kind of, so the series that we're starting today is called When God Spoke. When God Spoke. So that's April 5th. Uh, or March, March 5th up through April 2nd. If we could get that up there. There we go. Uh, so this series is called When God Spoke. It's preparing us for the following series, which is called When God Speaks. And When God Speaks is going to start on April Sunday, and it's going to go for seven weeks. And during that, that series, we're going to be going through a book together. This is an all-church book study on this book called um, How to Hear God, A Simple Guide for Normal People. We're using that that book as kind of the framework to organize those seven weeks. The reality is where we're going to be is in Scripture. We're not studying a book. We're studying the book. But we're going to use that book as the framework. And so this is going to be an all-church thing, which means it's our, our daily devotions. It's going to be our Sunday message. And we're hoping to have every single person in the church engaged in some sort of small group environment where you can discuss the content of that book with other people. Okay, that could be a family. It could could be within your immediate family. Maybe you're like Brent and you have a small group existing in your own home, right? (laughs) So you you can do it with your family or you can gather with a couple other families. We're going to make opportunities for that on campus Uh, Most all of our Wednesday night alive groups are going to shift to, they're going to pivot and basically doing um, hearing God for that whole seven weeks. And then we're also going to be doing those off campus as well, like in life groups and things like that. And so um, that's something that we, I actually telegraphed this back in November and said, I think that we need to make space to learn how to hear God's voice. As a church, we're committed to believing that God is still speaking today that he, through the, the indwelling Holy Spirit, through his word, through our, our, uh, the study of Jesus, that, that God is still speaking today, and we want to learn how to hear his voice. And I just want to encourage you with this. So, so here's the thing. We're starting that on Easter Sunday, which means it's the Easter Sunday message is actually going to launch that. And as part of that, we're going to be giving this book to every visitor who comes. They're going to get a free copy of the book. And we're going to invite them to come and join us for that series. Whether they join us for the series or not, people are going to be given a free copy. And I, I want to just ask you to be considering who you might invite. Because the reality is the world we live in right now is um, there's a, a spiritual hunger that's happening in our culture, in our world. There's a spiritual awakening that's happening. And what people are so hungry for, people who, who may not uh, attend a church or call themselves a Christian, but people are becoming spiritually hungry. Some of that's driven by just the world we live in and the, the condition of our, our world and our economy and our climate and, you know, our politics and wars and all the things that are going on that are so disruptive. They're creating a spiritual hunger, and we believe that, that we have answers to that. So people are hungry. They're not hungry for religion. They're hungry for real. And we want to make space for that in a non-hyped but a very... Uh, real way. So I love the title of the book, A Simple Guide for Normal People. Oh, well, that sounds like a book that would be helpful to me. (laughs) Keep it simple and normal, right? Very vineyard. So uh, that's the plan, and uh, I would just encourage you that one, um, so two weeks from today is when we're going to start distributing those books and helping people find groups. So today is just kind of telegraphing this, what's coming Uh, Again, we're launching the series today, When God Spoke, and then from here we go into When God Speaks. So let's talk about this series that we're launching today. First of all, let me say this. We just wrapped up a series in Jonah. We spent uh, eight weeks in the book of Jonah. This is not, the series we're starting today is not like a hard departure. It's not like a a cold start that we, we did Jonah and that's closed and now we're starting something new. 
I would actually think of this as more like the sequel to Jonah. You like sequels? Here's, so it's like the sequel to Jonah, but with one notable exception. And that's this. Typically sequels, like we'll just talk about movies for a second. Typically sequels like, are not as good as the original, right? I mean, so oftentimes what happens is someone puts out a movie and it captures the cultural moment and it makes a lot of money, and the producers think, oh, let's see if we can hit that vein again. And so they just basically, they, they create another version, but they just retell the same story, new environment, new circumstance, maybe add a new, few new characters, but they just kind of recycle and warm up the old thing and serve it to us as leftovers. Okay? Think Die Hard. <laughs> right? I mean, Die Hard, heartwarming Christmas movie. Right? Everyone after that was just like, come on. But every now and then, every now and then somebody puts out a sequel that actually improves on what came before it. That's actually better. That there's some sort of plot twist that, that changes everything that we didn't see coming, and you go, oh my gosh, this is even better. So for example, what? Empire Strikes Back. Empire Strikes Back so much better than the first movie, than, than A New Hope, right? <laughs> Lord of the Rings, maybe. I don't know. I like fellowship. Um, anyway, sometimes the sequel surpasses the first installment. That's the case with Jonah. So um, being as how, I like saying being as how, being as how, this is a continuance of Jonah. I'm just going to remind us. I'm going to recap Jonah to recap our Jonah series, I'm going to uh, read a piece, a written piece that we found. It was created by somebody named Trevor Estes um, back in 1996. It's called Jonah's Box. There once was a prophet. This is not, this doesn't rise to the level of poetry. It's, we call it a rhyme. It's not, it's not poetry, just a rhyme. There once was a prophet named Jonah whose home was at Gath-Hefer, he put the Lord into a box and said, don't ever leave here. I'll reveal your word to Israel, especially if it's good news. I'm glad to tell of your steadfast love, but only to the Jews. Well, God could not stay in that box because he had an amazing plan to pour out his abundant mercy on every nation in the land. So in the fullness of time, God stood up and stretched. Jonah, son of Amittai, it's time to preach to Nineveh. And Jonah said, I'd rather die. You guys knew that. He said it like four times in the book. So Jonah set out for Tarshish on a ship with a Phoenician crew. And God said, hey, good thinking. I want those sailors too. Before too long, Jonah found himself cast out into the sea at that point, he surrendered. I'll go, just rescue me. Well, God's response came quickly with creative flair of touch. He sent an enormous fish that swallowed Jonah for its lunch. And after three long days, Jonah, the fish got sick and puked up Jonah onto the beach. Puked up Jonah onto the beach. Then the prophet set out for Nineveh where God's word he'd vowed to preach. The Syrians were shocked when Jonah came, looking and smelling half-digested. And when they heard his cry of doom, their attention was arrested. They believed the Lord. They humbled themselves. They fasted and repented. And when God saw how they changed their ways, he showed mercy and relented. As Jonah watched, he sulked and pouted. I liked you better in my box. And God replied, but there's no room in there for all these people or their flocks. It's a rhyme. Just a rhyme, that's all it is. Um, so that's Jonah. Now, did you realize there's a sequel? You, you may not have, because it's not labeled like first and second Jonah. Right? If you're looking through your... Hebrew scriptures, Old Testament, you're not going to find First and Second Jonah. You're not going to find the way we would bill it in our culture. We would say it 
Jonah 2, angrier and smellier. That's what we would do. To find the sequel to Jonah, we actually have to listen to the words of Jesus. Jesus says this while talking to some religious leaders in Matthew 12. He says, one day, some teachers of religious law and Pharisees, they came to Jesus and they said, teacher, we want you to show us a miraculous sign to prove your authority. But Jesus replied, only an evil and adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days and three nights, so will the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. The people of Nineveh will stand up against this generation on judgment day, and they will condemn it. For they repented of their sins at the preaching of Jonah. Now, someone greater than Jonah, pay attention to that, greater than Jonah is here, but you refuse to repent. This is Jesus foretelling foreshadowing his own death and resurrection. At the same time, he's, he's chiding those gathered to really pay attention to the sequel that was about to play out in real life right in front of their eyes. Today, we're going to zero in on that last statement from, from what Jesus said about him being greater than Jonah, about the sequel surpassing the first installment. So to do that, we're going to be turning to the book of Hebrews. We're going to be looking just at the first four verses of the book of Hebrews. Uh, Hebrews is a, uh, an epistle. Uh, it's kind of a sermon that was written about three decades after Jesus' death and resurrection. Uh, today, as I talk about Hebrews, I'll be talking about the author of Hebrews because we don't really know who wrote it. We don't know who he or she was. Uh, we have, I have my own theories, which I won't share here. But, um, but, the, but the work goes unclaimed. No one claims authority or, or authorship of it. So we just know that it's the, the, letter, to Hebrew, or the letter to Hebrews. Um, but in it, the author is comparing, he's not just comparing, or she, he or she, not just comparing Jesus to Jonah, but Jesus to every revelation of God that has come prior to Jesus. Comparing and everything that, that pointed to Jesus in some way, in the same way that, that there are real things and there are shadows, it's like the author of Hebrews saying, everything that came before was like a shadow of the real thing. And now that you have the real thing, what he's making a case for, for his readers, is that they can't go back to the old thing once they've got the better thing. Okay? So that's basically the case he's making. We're going to turn to, to Hebrews 1, verse 1. It goes like this. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets, many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom, all, through whom also he made the universe. He is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. And he sustains all things by his powerful word. When he made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This is God's word. This brings us to the title of today's first message. This comes uh, from, directly from the text, and it's when God spoke by his son. Again, the author starts off, he says, God's spoken a lot of different ways. He's spoken through a lot of different people, through their personalities, through a lot of circumstances and situations. God's spoken many times, but in our day, He's spoken by his son. So we're going to take a look at that. And this, uh, this, this list that he, he has just in this first paragraph uh, lists several ways in which the revelation through Jesus is superior to all the previous revelations of, of God, the previous communications from God. And these are just some. This, this, that paragraph we just read, these are just some of the reasons that Jesus was saying to those religious leaders, you need to pay attention. Give me, meaning Jesus, Give this moment your full attention because something greater than Jonah, something greater that's ever come before is happening right now in front of your eyes. So we're going to break that paragraph, those two paragraphs that we just read. We're going to break it into some kind of bite-sized pieces and just look what the author of Hebrews is trying to tell us. So we're going to start with this one um, in the beginning. The first phrase here, it says, In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets, at many times and in various ways, 
But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. Again, the author starts by saying something exciting has happened. Something new and exciting, a vast improvement that's not just a slight improvement on the previous forms. It's not just like a a slight tweak or a new version of the same thing. Like something revolutionary has happened. Something that is bracket busting. Something altogether different has happened and it's exciting. I, I wish I could communicate the excitement the author of Hebrews is trying to communicate here because he's gushing. He's like, do, do, do you realize? Do you realize what's happened? Let me give you an illustration. I have this thing here. Do you know what this is? Do you know what it is? Okay, some of you know what it is. Some of you are like, what? What is that? This is going to bother me for must say. All right. This is what's known as a candlestick phone. This is an old, one of the very first telephones. This actually belonged to my grandmother. She was a switchboard operator for Ma Bell. And at one point, she was in the hospital and had a surgery. And when she came back from surgery, her coworkers had taken an old phone and converted it into a lamp. So you can see that it's got a little fixture here. So it's a functional lamp, like if, if it was plugged in and it had a light bulb. When you lift it up, it has a lamp. But, but it actually was a functioning phone. And so the way this phone worked is you would speak, or you, no, you'd listen, and you'd, I don't know how it worked, really. <laughs> now, there's no numbers. There's no numbers on this phone. It's not because it's like a touch screen type thing. It's because you, you got a dial tone, and then you spoke to the operator when the operator talked, some sort of switchboard operator, and you said, I'd like to place a call to my grandmother and then the switchboard operator hopefully could figure out where your grandmother was and what her number was and connect you to. And then could listen in on your call, which is incredibly creepy, right? So that's one of the first telephones. Now, back in 2007, Steve Jobs at an Apple event introduced the very first iPhone. And he came out and he began talking about this thing and he said, essentially, he was saying, this is something that is altogether different. Okay, this is, it's not just the latest version of this. I mean, they sort of have sort of the same function. They are about, commun- this is about communicating with other people who aren't in the same room. This is about communicating with people who aren't in the same room. But this is altogether different. And then he went on at this Apple event to talk about all the things. That- now, understand, this was like, people had smartphones. They were nothing like this. And so he started talking, he started, let me tell you. And what he was doing is he was saying, you have a need that you didn't know you had, and I've solved it. I've solved something, a problem that you didn't know you had. I'm giving you something you didn't know you needed. And so he went on to gush about it. And he's like, well, so, so yes, you can call another person just like this. You can call another person. You can also um, use this as a camera. And you can capture photos with it. And you can edit those photos, and you can store those photos, and you can send those photos across the world in a second. This is, so it's a, it's, a, it's a telephone, and it's a camera, and you can also use it. I don't remember if this was, this wasn't quite available, but he could see it coming. You'd be able to talk to people with FaceTime, right? You can not just talk to somebody and hear their voice, but you can see somebody's face who's across the world in real time. It's, it's, a, it's a music device. And, and, and not just that you can, like, play one cassette that's loaded and turn it over when it's done, or one CD and put it on repeat. Like, you have access to the musical library of the world. If it's recorded and it's stored somewhere, you can play it with this. Like, it was, do you, do you see what I'm saying? It's sort of like this, but it's altogether different. All right. So the author starts with the previous versions or methods that God has used to communicate. God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets many times and in various ways. And what it's implied is that all of these models had some sort of limitation, right? That, they, that if, they were, if they were perfect in everything they should be, then there wouldn't be a need for something new. I like that when he says this, he says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. He doesn't say, and he's spoken to us again. He says, but. 
but, but now. So he's, he's creating a contrast. He's saying something different has happened. So think about Jonah. Think about the limitations that we just saw in Jonah. Jonah, it's as if God said to Jonah, Jonah, um, I'd like to talk to the people of Nineveh. Can you connect me there? And Jonah said, no. And God said, no, you will connect me to the people of Nineveh. And so when forced, when nudged to, to follow through and go to Nineveh, what did he do? He tried to garble the conversation. He tried to cut short what, what God was actually saying so they wouldn't hear the full invitation. Jonah just wanted them to hear that God's going to smite you. He didn't want them to hear, if you repent, he will relent. That's a problem with the communication, right? God's spoken in many and various ways through people like Jonah. But now, he's spoken through his son. Jonah's just one example. There's many others. God spoke through the storm and thunder to Moses. He spoke through a still small voice to Elijah. He spoke through a donkey to Balaam. And all of those were, you know, they were communication between God and mankind, between the creator and his creation. But they were all inadequate. Now God is announcing and revealing something new. A revolutionary new development in communication and relationship between God and mankind, between the creator and his creation. And so he says, it's happened in these last days. Now I want you to pay attention to this. Because in these last days, Pastor Brent alluded to this last week. Everything, sometimes we, we wonder, like, are we in the last days now? There's something, something cataclysmic happened somewhere, and we're like, well, maybe this kind of feels like what we've heard the last days are about. Well, yes, and every single day we're closer to the last days. But what we're told in Scripture throughout the New Testament is the beginning with Jesus' incarnation, everything that, that represents, his death, his birth, his death, his ministry, his resurrection, his ascension, that, that was the beginning of a new time, the beginning of the, of the end of days. And until Jesus returns, when every tear is wiped, when all things are made new, when all of creation is fully redeemed, everything in between those two is last days. And so the author is saying, something has happened that has instituted the last days. This is the definitive word from God. There's not something else because this is the one that marked the beginning of the last days. This is the definitive revelation of God. And I just want you to pay attention to that because there's hope in that. If you are weary with the conditions of this world, if you're weary with your own circumstances and just sustained pain and the reality of living in a fallen world, it expresses itself in many different ways. But if you're weary of that, understand this. This is not all there is. In these last days, God has spoken by a son. He's put something in motion, and he's going to finish it. So hold on. Grab on to the hope that we find in the communication that comes from the son. This is a game changer. This is not God recycling the old news. It's not just taking the storyline from Jonah and repackaging it putting it in a new environment, a new skin. This is a whole new thing. Pay attention. So here's what happens. Now, the author of Hebrews, he goes on to name, he or she, goes on to name some ways in which this new development is superior. So kind of like when Steve Jobs first pulled this out and said, let me tell you about this. Let me tell you about this thing that you don't know you need that you need. And then he went on to gush about its characteristics. Basically, that's what the author of Hebrews does. He says, God's spoken by a son. Let me tell you about some of the features of what he spoke through his son. So he said, first of all, the son has been appointed the heir of all things. The son that God spoke through is the heir of all creation. In the same way that, that an only child of a fabulously wealthy father is destined and positioned to one day inherit everything owned by the father, Jesus is the only son of the father positioned to not only inherit the universe that is, but also everything that is to come. That means this, this heir that God has spoken through is unimaginably wealthy, with a type of wealth that none of us can comprehend or even imagine. We're not talking like, like you know, Amazon wealth or Tesla wealth. We're talking about the owner of all that is, the entire universe, 
what is and what is to come. He owns everything, and God has spoken through him. The, he doesn't unpack that in a way that we can wrap our little minds around and go, well, what does that mean? He just says, this is big. You should pay attention to this. Give this, give him your full attention. He goes on to say, this is through whom also he made the universe. Here we see that this son is also himself the eternal God present at the creation of the world and in fact the one who spoke all of creation into existence. He said, God, God has spoken. It's not the first time he spoke through his son. It was actually through the son that God created all of creation, spoke everything into existence, created everything out of nothing, called things forth, separated the land from the sea. This is a powerfully creative being. You know, in Genesis 1, we have the, the creation story, and we have God saying, let us make mankind in our image. And oftentimes people are like, okay, so is this, is this many gods? Well, it's one God, but it's the Trinitarian God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We see the Spirit present at creation, brooding over all of creation. But we're told in John that Jesus spoke creation into existence. John puts it this way. This is John chapter 1. In the beginning, going back to that's the way that Genesis started, in the beginning, the word already existed. This God spoke. Because God spoke through the Son, Jesus is sometimes called the word. Incredibly creative, powerful word that's spoken. The word, this is meaning Jesus. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. Nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and this life brought light to everyone. Hebrews is telling us that God has spoken once again through the one that spoke everything out of nothing. This is unimaginable power. This is the power is God has spoken not just through Jonah, but now through Jesus. Jesus has the power to create, to heal, to redeem, to forgive, to reconcile. This is an incredibly powerful word. We should pay attention to this. The author of Hebrews is saying to his readers, you should pay attention to this. This is better than Jonah better than the petulant prophet Jonah, better than the willing prophet David or Daniel, willing, willing King David. This is not simply another prophet. This is not just a Galilean peasant or a Galilean rabbi. This is God himself putting on human flesh, entering into his creation. Pay attention. He goes on to say, he is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. Hebrews goes on, he's saying that this son doesn't just have some family resemblance to God the Father, but he's actually the perfect reflection and the exact image of God. So in Jesus, the invisible God, God is spirit. The invisible God has been made visible. Spirit has put on flesh. This makes Jesus accessible to us, makes, us, makes him approachable. Jesus is the greater Jonah because where Jonah distorted and tried to obscure God's image, Jesus is God's image. We should pay attention. They should pay attention. The sequel's better than what came before. N.T. Wright notes that the language and the imagery, we talked about the exact imprint of God's very being. This language and imagery comes from the ancient practice of engraving and stamping soft, heated soft metal with a pattern that the metal would then forever carry. Put the quote like this. The emperor would employ an engraver who carved the royal portrait and suitable words or abbreviations on a stamp or a die made of hard metal. The engraver then used the stamp to make a coin so that the coin gave the exact impression or indeed expression of what was on that stamp. And this is what our writer is saying about Jesus. It's as though the exact imprint of the Father's very nature and glory has been precisely reproduced in the soft metal of the Son's human nature. 
he's given us his exact portrait. Only it's three-dimensional and alive. Pay attention. To see Jesus is to see exactly what God is like. To hear Jesus is to listen to the voice of our creator and our God. We're doing this series, When God Spoke Through the Son. We're doing this to lead us into Easter to prepare our hearts for what God did. As we remember and receive the Easter story, as we proclaim the Easter story, we want to stop and pay attention to Jesus. These next few weeks, we're going to be looking at little vignettes from Jesus' life. And we're going to say, what does this show us about God? How is, how is this teaching us by being the exact image of the invisible God? What does this tell us about our God that we wouldn't otherwise know? And it's altogether amazing. Pay attention. He goes on to say, he sustains all things by his powerful word. Not only did Jesus speak all of creation into existence, he continues speaking over all and maintaining life throughout all of creation. Paul says to the Colossian church this, he says, everything was created through him and for him. He existed before everything else. That's, this is Genesis 1. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. He sustains it. He sustains the planets in their orbits. He causes the seasons to change, the sun to give forth its light. He causes it to snow in March. <laughs> Nourishing life. Jesus, this is what Jesus is doing. We don't always stop and think about this, but Jesus spoke all of creation into existence, and then he didn't just walk away, but he, he keeps it in motion. He holds it. He sustains it. He holds it all together. So think about it this way. Every fertilized embryo, human, beast, every fertilized embryo, as it produces life, that's from him. Every seed that's planted and bears fruit, that's from him. He, he's doing that. Today, Andrea and I are going to attend a, uh, a baby shower for a baby that's actually still being formed in its mother's womb, in her mother's womb. And, and that child that's being formed, she's going to be a baby just like other human babies, and she's going to be completely unique with her own personality and her own capacities and giftings, and the way that she'll reflect God's nature is going to be uniquely hers. And that's altogether amazing. You know, life, with, and, and how, how do you think about that and not just be amazed that there's a creator? I think it takes so much more faith to believe that life just sort of happened and just sort of evolved without some sort of intentional creator and design. It takes so much more faith to think it's random. Some of you are gardeners. Some of you are going to be planting seeds. Maybe this week you'll be putting seeds in the dirt and putting some water on them. And three or four months, five months from now, you're going to be eating like fresh tomato sandwiches. Or maybe you're going to be making hand-cut salsa from tomatoes that you grew, peppers and onions that you grew. And I just want to say this, you didn't actually do that. <laughs> Can I just say that in advance? I mean, enjoy it, be proud of it, bring me some. <laughs> you just put a, the miracle of how that seed produced that fruit, that whole process. You didn't come up with that, you're just cooperating with it. There's one who put that into existence and sustains it and breathes upon it and causes it to happen. That tomato, that jalapeno, that's a miracle. It's just a small miracle compared to human beings. Hebrews tells us Jesus is the divine power behind all of that. And he's made an appearance on our planet. The one who created that, who did that, who does that, he showed up on our planet. Pay attention. Lastly, Last feature the author's going to talk about that we're going to look at today. When he'd made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This author of Hebrews has been stacking these features of Jesus, who he is, what he's done. He's called him the son. He said, well, he, he made all things. He holds all things together. He, uh, he caused, he's the eternal God. He's the exact image. But now he adds something. He adds that the son has accomplished something during his incarnation. 
He said that he made purification for sins. Now, and now he's seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. Okay, this means he did something, and now it's complete. When it says that he's seated at the right hand of the majesty on high, this is the way that, that those first century readers would have understood that this means that he's, he's returned to his uh, eternal state and glory. It doesn't mean that he's literally sitting next to God's throne. God is spirit. God doesn't have a throne. But the idea is he's no longer bound to his earthly body. He, he accomplished something, something that we maybe didn't know we needed, and then he returned to the Father, and he returned to his eternal state. So what is this thing that he accomplished? He made purification for sins. Well, just as a short way of looking at this, go back to Jonah chapter 4. Back in Jonah, we looked at this, this statement, this self-revelation, self-declaration that God made about his own nature. To, actually, it was back in Exodus 34. It was to Moses and that generation. But it became the most popular verse, the most quoted passage of the Hebrew Scriptures. At least 27 times it gets quoted and referenced throughout the Old Testament Scriptures. And it was this revelation of God that, that the first part sounded really good. The second part was maybe less good if you ever found yourself having done something wrong. Okay, it goes like this. This is Exodus 34, 6, and 7. This is the slide we looked at. A God compassionate and gracious, compassionate and gracious slow to anger, overflowing overflowing with loyal love and faithfulness. He maintains loyal love for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet he won't declare innocent the guilty, and he will bring the iniquities of the fathers upon the children and grandchildren to the third and the fourth. Now, we looked at that, the tension that that creates, because it says, one, God is extravagantly merciful, and he's also faithfully just. And, and so he deals with us according to his mercy or according to his justice. And people then know, like, how do we, how do we bring together, how do we resolve the tension between, between God's intention to be merciful and his need to be just? He's both. And basically what we saw throughout the Hebrew Scriptures is once, once God gave them that revelation, people never knew how to resolve that tension. They just, they just basically said, um, be merciful to me instead of just. Be merciful to us instead of just. Be gracious to us instead of sending judgment. And so every time people found themselves in trouble, that's what they did. They went back to God's self-revelation, and they said, remember, you said that you're merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. They never quoted the rest. Because they didn't want him to, to not, rem they didn't want him to remember their iniquity. It's never been solved. That tension, that problem that they knew they had, had never been solved until Jesus. And Jesus, on the cross, he absorbs God's justice. God pours out his justice, and Jesus absorbs all of the justice so that God can then pour out mercy on everyone else. God made, Jesus made purification for sins. He made forgiveness possible. Isaiah saw this coming. Isaiah 53 put it this way. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. Peace. The, the reconciliation between mercy and judgment. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds, we are healed. We all, like sheep, we've all gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Hebrews tells us that God resolved the tension in Jesus. Jesus has now made purification for sin. Why is this a better revelation? God didn't just speak. He did something. He accomplished something. He accomplished, he solved a problem that whether we knew we had that problem or not, we had a problem. And it's all been solved in Jesus at the cross, Jesus absorbed all of God's justice so that God could now extend forgiveness to those who act in faith, who ask in faith. And Hebrews is telling us that Jesus did that once for all. He replaced the sacrificial system that happened daily, weekly, annually with a once-for-all sacrifice. He's now restored to his eternal state and glory. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come 
We're going to be receiving communion this morning. As we receive communion, it's, a, it's an invitation. It's not an expectation. So if you're here on campus and you didn't get communion and you'd like to receive it, if you'd put up your hand, our greeters and ushers will, will come and bring communion to you. Um, but Jesus told those first religious leaders, to, they should pay attention. There's something greater than Jonah is here. You should pay attention. How do we do that? Individually today, we respond by receiving communion in faith. We receive this. It's, just, it's symbolically shows us that Jesus' body was broken, his blood was poured out for us. That this whole passage in Isaiah, that he was crushed for our iniquities. When we take communion, we're saying, God, Jesus, you were crushed for my iniquities. Your body was broken that I could be made whole. Your blood was poured out that I could be made clean. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna make a little bit of space just to respond in worship. Worship team's gonna lead us in a song that actually proclaims, with music, proclaims this very message. I'm gonna invite you to, uh, would, you, would you stand with me? And if you choose to sit or to kneel or put yourself in a bodily posture that reflects what's going on in your heart, I invite you to do just that. You don't have to stay standing. But what I encourage you to do is to choose the posture as we sing this song and as we prepare our hearts for communion. How do we today pay attention to the fact that God has spoken once again? Well, we do it in this moment. We do it in this way. We receive this in faith and say, God, would you speak over me? As you've spoken life into all creation, would you speak life into me? Speak a better word of forgiveness. Speak a better word of new life. Speak over me. Speak over us. Your blood, 
communion together. If you're uh, on campus, you probably have these little pre-packaged communion. Let me explain briefly how to do this, so we, and then we'll get into the prayer. But if you push the tab down and then pull, the, pull up on that, you'll be able to access that. It's a little easier than um, the other ways of opening these. You don't need a pocket knife. <laughs> okay. So um, if you just prepare yourselves for that. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat. This is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. have the slightest understanding of who you are and what it is that you've accomplished. But the little bit that we do know and we do see and we do comprehend, it causes us to worship, to respond to you in faith and gratitude, to say, come and have your way as you forgive us and cleanse us, as you make us into new creations. We welcome your presence. We welcome your lordship. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. Would you come, inhabit each one of our lives? And we invite every manifestation of your indwelling presence. We ask that you would shape us, that you would form us, that you would cleanse us, that you would lead us, that you would empower us and send us. Would you come and make your home in us and come and be enthroned in us. Thank you. Thank you that the sequel is better than everything that came before. Thank you that you have spoken a better word than what Jonah spoke. And thank you that you didn't just speak it, but you offered yourself to make it possible. We stand in humility before you. We stand in gratitude. We consecrate these, these weeks leading up to Easter to you and ask that you would open our eyes to see things that we haven't seen uh, open our, our hearts to love things we haven't loved. Open our, our minds to maybe remember things that we've forgotten or to understand things we've never understood. Would you breathe upon us and help us to experience this Easter as a fresh word from you to give you our full attention. 
We ask these for your glory. We ask this for our joy. And we ask this for the sake of our world and those around us. Amen. As we close today, I want to read a few words for prayer. Um, We're having a couple technical difficulties today, so we don't have these on the screen. So you just need to hear this. So these are things that our prayer team was just praying about and said, since that God wanted to speak to some individuals today uh, about some situations and and bring this to him in prayer. So one was for uh, a sinus headache or infection, sinus headache or infection, also for wisdom teeth or or, uh, tooth, wisdom tooth, wisdom teeth. Uh, There was a question that one of our prayer team sent to, and the question was this, do you really want to serve him? Do you really want to serve him? If that speaks to you, if that's a question that you've been wrestling with, I'd encourage you to come and get prayer and just offer that up to the Lord today. Uh, Two more words. One is running away. If running away describes you and you don't want to keep running, today would be a good day to just bring that to the Lord in prayer. And lastly, this word of hope. God can heal the scars of your past. God can heal, can bring redemption to the scars of your past. So if those speak to you or maybe that you, there's other things that you'd like prayer for today, I invite you to just, we're going to make some space up here. The worship team's just going to keep, keep worshiping for a little bit. So make some space around here. You can come up and pray. And when you're ready, uh, we'll have somebody from our ministry team join you for prayer. Uh, apart from that, uh, you're welcome to go and get your kids and then go from here and make the invisible God visible. Thanks for listening. To respond or receive prayer after the live stream closes, please email prayer at vineyardboise.org. And if possible, include your phone number. We'd love to get in touch with you. Thanks.